Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamp, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 428 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by a former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are you doing this week, sir? I'm doing great, my man. How about you? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. It's going to be a slightly different show to normal. It's the end of year special, so part one we will be obviously reviewing the big card that went down in Saudi and a couple of others. Then we'll welcome our special guest. And then in part two, we will go through all the Box Hard Awards, like the best knockout, best fighter, best fight, best, you know, female fighter, etc. So like I say, let's start straight away with the card that went down at the Kingdom Arena in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Um, I'm going to start with the undercard. Um, yeah, so let's let's go right to the bottom of the card. I don't know if this was the first fight on. I can't entirely remember the running order, but... Philip Hergovic now 17-0, Eddie. A first-round TKO against Mark Demori, friend of the show, now 41-3 with two draws. The first real punch of significance, um, you know, hurt Mark. He, he t- kind of turned away momentarily. He looked like he didn't know where he was. Um, obviously, took took a little bit more punishment, ended up getting stopped. I think his towel, uh, the towel in the corner came in. Um it's exactly what we expected, Eddie. Uh, expected Eddie from that fight. There, we didn't expect many rounds. I think just to be on the safe side, we said it had happened in the first six. You were very confident, saying it's probably in the first three. But yeah, big Philip Hergovic with the first round TKO. Did you see that one? No, no, I didn't actually get a chance to see it. I was struggling to finally because by the time I got a chance to see actually watch the card. I I was on the road and I was I was actually the one driving so I couldn't be watching it but I, I was trying to get updates from you and from different people on what was going on especially since I had my parlay running which didn't turn out too well obviously but um yeah yeah what, that was one fight I was extremely sure of that was going to be as as we called it so but yeah yeah I didn't see that one I missed it uh, you didn't miss too much we also said in agreement last week that Frank Sanchez would go over 5.5 rounds. A lot of people didn't think that that would happen, but we got that one right as well. Um, I said, you know, Junior Farr getting stopped in a round by Lucas Brown doesn't necessarily mean Frank Sanchez is going to go in there and blast him out. He's not really a quick starter. And um, it was quite a good fight, to be honest. The early parts of the fight, it was quite an even one. Um, Junior Farr, I think, picked up a couple of the early rounds. So did Frank Sanchez. I, I think I, I think I see some people saying it was like 2-2 after four rounds. But in the end, Frank Sanchez, when he got to Junior Farr, he really got to him. Landed some great shots, I think, in round six. Got the TKO in round seven. He's now 24-0. Junior Farr now 20-3. That one was for the WBO, NABO, and WBC Continental America's heavyweight titles. Also on the card, 
this was this was a fight here that we were split on, Eddie. I went with Daniel Dubois, who's now twenty and two. You went with Jarrell Big Baby Miller, who's now twenty six and one with a draw, a TKO in the tenth and final round. I believe there was about four seconds or six seconds left in the round. Um, Big Baby Miller found himself against the ropes, wasn't answering back, taking a lot of heavy, heavy head jolting shots, and the referee waved it off. Um, you know, from a Miller point of view, I was I was quite kind of let down that he didn't make the you know the distance. He was just a few seconds away. I think he deserved to go the distance, but obviously the referee, if that was earlier on in the fight, round five or whatever, I would have been saying that the referee a hundred percent made the right decision by stopping it. But I think just because there was only five seconds left or whatever in the round to completely finish the fight, there's a bit of me that goes, oh, maybe he shouldn't have done it. But to be honest. If you are taking that kind of punishment, it shouldn't really matter what round you're in or how long's left in a round. Obviously, if you're if you're taking enough shots where you should get stopped, you should get stopped at any point in the fight if that sequence were to happen, I think. So, um, really, really good performance from Daniel Dubois. Very impressed. Um, he started fast. I liked his 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 first round. You know, everything was 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 from the jab. Um he would let go of the one-two quite nicely, straight down the pipe, keeping it long. Wasn't letting Big Baby's slow feet get into range and turn it into a fight on the inside, because obviously that was what Miller wanted to do the whole fight. Um, I was quite impressed with Daniel Dubois, but like I say, after a couple of rounds, I'd say maybe two or three rounds, he seemed like he was kind of getting tired with with having to do that, because he's not a back foot fighter, but he was fighting on the back foot a lot. Um, so yeah. I think it, it started to become a bit troublesome for him, g- getting into the mid sort of part of the fight, I'd say. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you know, I, like I say, I have to reiterate, I liked the game. I liked the fact that he was effectively boxing off the back foot completely against his usual kind of footprint, if you like. It was smart stuff, but then he did get drawn in. And after having a lot of good starts to rounds, in in the second half of rounds, he was starting to take a lot of punishment. You know, he seemed to be getting tired towards the end of each round. And that was worrying signs, actually, because that was going on quite quite early on in the fight. Um, around about that fourth round was when Dubois started to look really tired. It looked like Miller was starting to take over. But Miller then also got tired, and Dubois did find a second wind and started to box even better than he had done earlier in the fight. Um, I was wondering if maybe it was just nervous energy early on, and maybe as the fight went on, you know, Dubois seemed to kind of realise, hey, this this is very much an easy an easy fight if I make it one. Um, maybe Miller got inside his head, I don't know, with the build-up and stuff. But yeah, the second half of the fight was dominating stuff from, from Daniel Dubois. And his ring IQ has elevated in front of our eyes, I think. He was absolutely brilliant. I'm over the moon for him. Um, up to that point, it was definitely performance of the card. Really good performance. Um, I, I'll give him massive credit. Um, the chin did finally crack. I think Miller Miller was probably hurt for the first time, you know, seriously in that whole fight. He took a lot of massive shots. He's got a fantastic chin, but finally, I think the chin did start to crack in that final round. Um, yeah, he was taking massive shots on the ropes without firing back. Miller did land some great shots early on. Um, but yeah, for me, Daniel Dubois has answered a lot of questions there. There was a lot of people that were confidently picking Miller. You were one of them, Eddie. I went with Dubois, and Dubois ends up winning. Um, 
I think I probably gave Jarrell about two rounds over the whole course of the fight, but that was my take. I don't know if you saw it. No, I, I didn't see it. But I guess we, I guess, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Daniel Dubois. I think he'd done, you know, obviously a great job. I mean, I didn't see it. Obviously, I'm just taking your word for it, Joe. I heard a couple other people say he did it really well. Um, and I just think that, obviously, <laughs> there was definitely no drugs in the system of Big Baby. <laughs> so, and, I, and I think, honestly, so, to, to some degree, you know, I mean, I know and a lot of people probably throwing that shade anyway, to some degree, um, obviously you would think it played a part uh, in his performance and, you know, versus, you know, the other performances he had, the shots he would take as well as what he was able to give back and how he seemed to get stronger as the fight gone on, even with taking all the punishment for some of these other guys who were big punchers that he faced. And it's just an unfortunate thing that those, you know, the drugs and stuff like that are in the game, but... Sometimes, you know, in a situation like this, you can kind of see the effects it can have and the benefits. Then when somebody's actually doing it as they're supposed to do it, they don't have the same edge. Either that or it could have taken away the fact that, you know, you know, taken away from what his normal abilities would be from taking all those. I mean, I don't know. I don't understand the situation, but he's obviously tested positive before and obviously didn't want to go through that bout again. And, you know. Credit to Daniel Dubois, he's he, he done what he's supposed to do. But I was probably one of the – that was one of my more confident picks was that Big Baby was going to uh, – was going to be able to get to Dubois eventually. I was thinking, you know, with the weight and the size and, you know, the fact that he seems to get better as the – seemed to get better in other fights as the fight gone on, that that would be – you know, and, he, and then, like you said, Joe, he was able to take the shots early. But I guess after a while, and take so there's only there's only so much you can take, and it eventually had uh, you know an adverse effect, and ended up getting stopped. So I was kind of surprised by that. But uh, congratulations to Daniel Dubois; he did what he was supposed to do, and uh, eventually got him out of there. Yeah, um, he did get him out of there. So that was the end of your parlay, right there. It's not the parlay that we bet on, but the parlay that we kind of put together the mad odds, which I think were like. 86 to 1 for your one. My one was still going at this, at this point. Frank Sanchez over 5.5 rounds. Daniel Dubois to win any method. And Hergovic rounds 1 to 6. But then it all came to a crash in the next fight. <laughs> Arslanbek Makhmadov. Huge upset here. Huge upset. Um, why didn't we put this in our parlays, Eddie? Ajit Kabayel, the German in the other corner, now 24-0. A TKO for him. That was 16-1. to If you bet Kabayel, 16-1 to for the TKO victory. Boy, oh boy, I did not see this one coming at all. Um, Makhmadov, like I say, loses his O. He's now 18-1. It was for the NABF and WBA Intercontinental Heavyweight titles. Makhmadov down three times in the end, um, just completely cannot take body shots, it was shocking, um, you know, he got in there as he does, he's very, very slow and robotic, he got in there as he does, throws these massive shots, but if you're not there for them shots early on, he gasses, and especially now we've seen, if you can target the body, it seemed like Caballero had the perfect game plan, um, it, it was just to kind of stick and move, if you like, and, um, 
and and yeah, mostly doing lots and lots of moving around the ring, um, and that's what happened. Makhmadov started to get tired, started to get a bit desperate, started to blow really, really hard after like two rounds. Kabiel started going to the body, and Makhmadov took a knee a couple of times, and every time he'd get back up, he'd take like a deep breath, and then again, just start swinging crazy shots from the hip in a desperate attempt to catch Kabiel with one of them. Um, Kabiel, to his credit, like I say, I've heard this guy's like a really rich businessman, aside from boxing, he doesn't really need to box, but when I saw him getting in with Makhmadov, I thought, wow, why would you take a fight this dangerous? You're probably going to get knocked out, this could be life-changing, but I tell you what, the guy is obviously a, a much smarter man than me, because uh, he's gone out there, been paid a truckload of money, won by stoppage, and all of a sudden he's got himself in the mix now, with all the best heavyweights in the world, I'm sure he'll get a massive fight next. I was so, so blown away. I really thought Makhmadov would stop him. I just thought the, the sheer size of Makhmadov and the punching power would get him through. And if not, then he'd probably win on points. Um, his gas tank was so, so poor here. We've seen him go the distance against Carlos Takam. Um, and I thought Takam probably did enough in that fight there, despite all the knockdowns that Takam suffered. But he paced himself badly in that fight but nowhere near as badly here this was seriously worrying and i don't know what happens next for him um also on the card jai opatai in a bit of a mismatch we said it you know everyone kind of knew it was a big mismatch he's now 24 and 0 a ko in the very first round against ellis zorro who's now 17 and 1 i hope he's okay i'm happy that he didn't take loads and loads of punishment he just got stopped with one punch and it was a i think it was a big long looping left hook that he that he got caught with right as the round was about to end they'd already done the 10 second clapper he gets hit with this shot and he kind of fell his head fell on the bottom rope and he didn't know where he was the referee of course waved it off straight away took the gum shield out his mouth um so yeah brutal performance there from Opatai, and it just goes to show you know he didn't mess around you know he went in there and did what he what he expected himself to do um also on the card Dimitri Bivol very disappointing in my opinion. He's now 22-0. A unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Lyndon Arthur, friend of the show, now 23-2. I expected Bivol to get the stoppage. He did have Lyndon down in round 11 from a body shot, but Lyndon kind of got saved by the bell there. And then Bivol didn't really press anything too much in round 12. It was for the WBA Super and IBO World Light Heavyweight titles. Um... Yeah, Bivol's just such a brilliant fighter. I know he was coming off a bit of a layoff, but such a brilliant technical fighter. But no real urgency, no, I don't want to say killer instinct, but he, he, he just doesn't care about going a distance. And I know that he'd gone five years without getting a stoppage, but yeah, I, I expected more from him. Lyndon Arthur only had a few weeks notice for the fight. He went in carrying an injury. They said after the fight that he was seen like the other day, like I say the other day, a couple of weeks ago, he was hobbling around. He could barely walk. You know, I expected Bivol to really, really, really... Um, you know, dominate Arthur and get him out of there. He did win every round. I think the scorecards in the end were like 120 to 107, all three, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, it was just, it was it was really poor from Bivol. I really, really expected more. And I feel like if he wanted to get him out of there, he could have done. And that's what's frustrating about it. Obviously, I picked Bivol to win by KO. Eddie went with Bivol points. Eddie uh, picked that one right. But um yeah, very poor from Bivol in the end. Um, 
just yeah, I didn't like it. Um, Eddie, was you going to say something because you've unmuted a few times? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I just I'm just watching Bivol over his career and and paying attention to detail and some of the things you could just tell he's the kind of guy who I don't want to say he fights to the caliber of his opponent necessarily. I think he he, he fights to win every time out, and and is he's not going to take any unnecessary risk and I think that's like with him and Canelo that's what made him look so good in the fight with Canelo because Canelo, Canelo was always going to come and get it but with this guy like you said he was nursing an injury he wasn't expected to do very much you know like you, you expected him to get stopped a lot of people probably expected him to get stopped and in these kind of fights with a guy who's just just wants to win doesn't really care how much work or how good necessarily that it looks it's just the most important part is to win. This is what you get in most times. That's why, and a guy you would think, oh, he's going to go get the stoppage. It may be a guy who's not necessarily world class. He would get the stoppage if, if he, and that's if he really went after it. But I just don't think that's his style to go after it. And I think that's why the fight was going. And that's why I picked him. I just, you know, certain things you have like a sixth sense about with with fighters, and you you kind of see the flow and how they move and you know, what's important to them within the fight. And sometimes, like, I even look at myself and there's opportunities that I had to, you know, maybe make it more more exciting or go after the knockout. And early in my career, I did, I did that and made a mistake and, you know, ended up not looking so good, got a little tired. So then you get away from it. And I think Bill was, you know, his IQ and his understanding of what's necessary sometimes prohibits him from doing what, most people expected him to do so yeah i mean maybe not the best performance but i could just imagine that he did what was necessary to win and you know he didn't leave anything up to chance and unfortunately that's not necessarily a fan-friendly type of type of way to think but eh, that's the way he obviously operates yeah like i say all the best to him um it should be noted that arthur was very very negative as well to be honest um Right, moving up to the two main fights, Deontay Wilder now 43-3 and with a draw, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds in favour of Joseph Parker, now 34-3, and um, it was for the WBO Intercontinental and WBC International Heavyweight titles, I tell you what, what a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant performance from Joseph Parker, um, it just goes to show the guy is a completely different fighter under his new trainer, Andy Lee. Um, you know, we, we both picked this fight. Obviously, you actually went with Wilder KO. Um, I said that the fight's just not going to go the distance. I thought that Joseph Parker, you know, has a chance to hurt Wilder and possibly get him out. But more than likely, Wilder was going to get the stoppage, as he always does. He's put everyone he's faced on their backside up until now. Um... Yeah, Joseph was fantastic. It seemed like every time Wilder would let the right hand go, Joseph would get about a two-second, uh, you know, two-second warning it was coming. He'd duck underneath it every single time. Wilder would throw it straight over his back. Um, Parker was unbelievable. The jab was fantastic at times when they were meeting in the middle and jabbing each other. You know, Parker had more more oomph on his jab, if you like. He was out jabbing Wilder, out fighting Wilder, uh, much more volume to his game. Um, 
moving around as well. I really liked what I saw from Parker. He seemed to be very light on his feet the last few fights. And again, I, I put this down to Andy Lee's training. Um, I think sometimes Parker would stay in the pocket and trade and it would be a bit of a tough man contest and you obviously could have never fought Wilder like that but we've seen a bit of a development recently in his last few fights where he's not that guy now he's not just trying to out tough you he's actually thinking what he's doing in there but I never thought that he'd be able to think his way through 12 rounds without getting hit or hurt at all and he boxed brilliantly um I must say, when Wilder tried to come on strong in the last couple of rounds, I was worried because Parker was very, very, very tired. You could see he was clinging on in round 12, just trying to get to the decision. Uh, Wilder started celebrating, which was quite strange, but so dominant from Parker. You did say, Eddie, if Parker's to win, he's going to win on points, uh, but obviously you picked Wilder by KO, but... I just can't put into words how happy I am for Joe Parker. Like I say, he's a fantastic human being, and... It's a massive upset, man, but I'm so, so pleased. Like, I am so happy for Parker. What a fantastic end to a fantastic year he's had. He's had four fights this year, 4-0, and um, and this is the cherry on top of the cake. I mean, I, I, I just, he, 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 he fought to a punch-perfect game plan, and I cannot, cannot applaud him enough. Sensational. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he did. Honestly, Joe, he did what I would expect him to do if he was going to win. Um, it's just, it's incredible. Uh, the the kind of respect that Wilder's right hand, it, it just it just puts you know fear in most guys or in most like I'm in if I'm in the corner if I'm in if I'm in Joe's corner. I'm like, what the hell, man? <laughs> Every time he launches that motherfucker, I would be like, what, you know, what's going on? I hope he doesn't land it. I don't, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. But what I noticed with Joseph Parker in this fight, he was extremely comfortable and relaxed. He didn't really at any time seem overly bothered, right, by, you know, the right hand that much. In fact, every single time I think – not every time, but most of the time when Wilder threw it, he made it a point to go after it. You understand what I'm saying? Well, he made it like every time you throw that right hand, I'm going to make you pay for it. You understand what I'm saying? It was like it was it was like a thing where if you use it, I'm going to hurt you type of thing. And it made him. It's like it's like remember I think we talked about this too when uh, Tyson was going to fight. Uh, Wilder and I said after the first fight he realized that it's important to what I say attack what I mean by what I'm saying is attack the right hand what I mean by that is every single time he uses it go after it make him you make him leery of literally throwing his best weapon and I think that's what Joseph Parker was trying to do I think though a lot of a lot of it and I'm not trying to blame Malik or say Malik is not a good trainer or this and that. I just think his application of what he's trying to do with Wilder, you know, I think Wilder coming in extra light, you know, played a part as well. But I think him trying to box when that's really not his game per se, like he should be, he's looking for range to land his right hand, but him boxing, and moving, using angles and things like that, trying to box, like having that cute style. That's not really Wilder's game. Wilder doesn't have that 
you know, conventional type boxing style. And I think that's partly what made him such a difficult puzzle to solve for most people. And, you know, by Malik coming in, showing him these conventional moves and these little tricky things, I think that also played a part in him and his game plan, thinking that, oh, I'm behind my jab, when you're really only throwing like three or four punches, you know, meaningful shots around, and you throw the right hand once or twice, and it's like, yo, what got you here was that big right hand. The one thing that they should have been really concentrated on is more ways to bring that right hand into the fold. Make his right uppercut more potent. Make him utilize other shots with it. Right hooks. You know, dare I say overhand rights. Not necessarily overhand rights because he's fighting a shorter guy, but I just think that, you know, some of the ideas that Malik had were well intended, but I think for a guy like uh, Deontay Wilder, it's just, it's not going to be applied properly. You're not in a pressure situation. And to be quite honest, Joe Parker had the, 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 the performance of his career in a situation where this was probably the most difficult nerve wracking fight of his career, even though I think he's had, a, you know, tougher fights and obviously he had a, you know, he got stopped by, uh, by big Joe. Um, you know, a while back, but, um, yeah, you know, I just think, I think Joseph Parker, you know, the sky's the limit now for him. I don't, but I don't, don't get overconfident from this. You know what I mean? Continue to work, continue to continue to improve and, you know, but there is definitely a a huge benefit to what's happened. The, The performance was awesome. You know, he took, he took, he took care uh, you know, when it came to being defensively responsible from that right hand, it was just, it was all around good performance. And I think Wilder helped it by not using what got him to the dance. You know what I'm saying? I think, I think he needs to really go back to the drawing board and they really need to reevaluate what it is they're trying to do, uh, in the fights coming. Yeah. I remember after the first four rounds, I had it four to zero for Parker and I was thinking, that doesn't mean anything, though, because there's been so many fights where I've had the other guy 4-0 up against Wilder, but he always lands that right hand at some point. It's just a matter of when. But, yeah, credit to Parker, man, for being able to read everything. Um, you mentioned there, obviously, you know, um, the, the, the boxing skills maybe just not going to be able to be implied, you know, applied properly to Wilder's style. He's, he's got that natural freak power. Um, I think you're right about that, to be honest. Um, Yeah, as for Parker, though, tearing up the script, obviously the plan was Joshua beats Wallin, Wilder beats Parker, and then we see, finally, Joshua Wilder in 2024. It just seems like, for some reason, that fight just can't happen. It seems like when they're both at the table, both signed on the dotted line, even this, you know, something's happened like this to to upset the plans. Yeah. I saw a couple people mention, wouldn't it be great to see a rematch between Joshua and Parker, by the way. I would love that, and I would favour Joseph Parker in that fight 100%. Um, But anyway, fantastic from Parker. Let's not carry on too too much more with this fight here. It's took up enough time, but it didn't look like Wilder really was interested in even carrying on boxing straight after the fight. Seemed a bit disinterested. I think now he's kind of got his act together. I think, you know, someone's whispered in his ear like, whoa, 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 there's still millions to be made. What are you talking about? You can't walk away. And now he's done a bit of a U-turn saying he's definitely going to fight again. Um, But yeah, it's mad because now, you know, most people, based off the two guys' performances the other night, I think most people probably will now favour Joshua going into this 
into this fight if they do end up having it next. But anyway, getting to the man we've spoken about a couple times there, Anthony Joshua, now 27-3. and We both picked Otto Wallin to win this. I just had a feeling he'd win it. You did as well, Eddie. Um, what I didn't think would happen was a first half of the fight stoppage. He finally gets it, Anthony Joshua. It was seven years to the month since the last time he, he got a stoppage in the first half of a fight. He gets it here. Otto Wallin didn't come out for round six, so a round five retirement. Wallin now 26-2. and two. Joshua has clearly done a much better job on him than Tyson Fury did. Um, very impressed with Joshua. Again, a lot of people saying, is it the old Joshua? Is he back? Um, a lot of people are saying Ben Davison deserves a lot of credit in the corner with him. He's new, you know, he's his new trainer. Um, I don't know. It's hard to tell, really, based off that one performance. But he was really good. And what's his name? Um, Richie Woodall on the on the commentary here in the UK. He made a good point. He said, you know, Joshua's going to be very confident getting in there with Wallin tonight. He beat him twice as an amateur. He's very, you know, he's very familiar with Wallin. He he won't have all these nerves. He'll be very comfortable, very confident. And I thought, you know, I think I think he's hit the nail on the head. If that is going to be the case, then then Joshua may look really good here. Um, but I still thought Wallin was going to be be able at some point to get into a bit of a boxing groove, obviously got a good chin, took some big shots, but Joshua's jab was fantastic the other night, really fantastic, um, probably the the best I've seen his jab now for a few years, everything was really good, he was light on his feet, I like the way he was cutting off the ring on Wallin, you know, he didn't show him loads and loads of respect like I think sometimes he's done in previous fights with other men. I think sometimes there's too much respect there, too much hesitant hesitancy from him. Um, and this was not that, you know. He, he just let his hands go and looked really, really good. And that is the best Joshua, in my opinion, has looked for several years. It may have just been that he was really confident against Wallin, or it may just be that we're seeing a man who has done whatever he's had to do away from the ring and now he's he's back and he's better than he's been in previous years so I don't know whether to say it's just a new and improved Joshua or it's the old Joshua is it the old is it the new I'm not entirely sure but what did you make of the performance Eddie there's no doubt in that it was a, it was a really really good showing from Joshua there yeah 100% you know I mean when I saw what was going on I mean I, I was watching um, you know, waiting <laughs> to see when, you know, Wallen. And the funny thing is, I don't know why this has happened to me a couple of times too. Whenever I'm watching, I don't know how this happens, but I'm like ahead or no, I'm behind. Like that happened with the, 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 the Earl Spence and, and Terrence Crawford fight. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And, I, and then the commentary went out for a second and I'm like, what? The, and, and the sound in general just went out. And I'm like, what the hell? But then, you know, I, I moved it up a little bit, got past that little issue. And it was just like Wilder. I mean, not Wilder. Um, Joshua was dominating and kept in control. And, you know, he seemed like his punches and his his intent, he was menacing. Like, he everything he threw has had meaning to it. You know what I mean? And the performance that he gave was the kind of performance that, in my opinion, he needed against... Uh, Usyk, you know, not fighting 
to get to the end, not trying to box, not trying to keep necessarily this guy at range and fight him in, you know, in a, in a boxing match. He was, he should have been going in there and everything that he was throwing was now nah, we're not saying going out there and just winging and throwing wild shots, but just have a different attitude towards it. You understand what I'm saying? Throw shots with meaning. And make sure that every single time the punch touches him or every some, every time a punch gets in range that it makes him feel, hey, I'm going to be in a fight tonight. And I think in this fight is exactly what he gave. Now, we talked about, and like you said, uh, uh, one of the guys from, from the UK, the, the announcer said, you know, he's probably going to be a little bit more confident. He's been, obviously, you know, he's been in the ring with Walling before and they sparred and all of that. So he would expect a good performance because he was a little more comfortable. And if that's the case, that's, you know, that's, that's great. That's a great call. Plus, obviously it's a good situation for, for, for Joshua, but for the future, this is the kind of Joshua that needs to be in there. If he was to ever face Usyk again or anybody like that, he's going to have to come in there with that kind of mentality. He's going to have to use the body that he has, the size, the strength, you know, in, in, in the athletic ability, the athletic ability, he's going to have to put that to, if he was to fight Wilder, to be quite honest, most people, yes, would, are going to favor Joshua in that fight because of how Wilder looked. But remember, styles make fights and triangle, triangle theories don't necessarily work in boxing. And even though Wilder looked not so great, what he, what he, you know, cause, you know, cause obviously what he was doing in the fight and, in general, just, you know, didn't look like we expected. And Joshua did. He, he actually looked good. Don't think that it's impossible for the, you know, for that, uh, for Wilder to go in if they were to fight and to have success and maybe win. But just looking at the situation, while Joshua would have to f- approach that fight honestly, obviously more skilled and have to be, extremely defensively responsible, but he still would have to have that same menacing uh, venom thrown with his punches. You know what I mean? And and not necessarily, even with a wilder, necessarily try to, per se, outbox him. You know what I mean? He has He's going to have the weight advantage, the size advantage, and probably the strength advantage. Go in there and seek and destroy. However, just make sure you stay leery, obviously, of the right hand. But uh, all in all, I don't want to go too crazy, but all in all, Joshua, I thought, did a hell of a job. Uh, he looked like what you would expect a, a, a high-level uh, fighter, one of the best in the world, to look like in a situation like this. He's supposed to be able to separate himself, and that's what he did. And, you know, this is what I'm pretty sure guys and people in the U.K. to support him, people all over the world that support him, want to see from him. And if he gives this kind of performance or at least puts, gives this kind of effort, even in a loss, we can respect that. You know what I mean? And, and, and like I said, if he was ever, ever to face Usyk again, this is the version that he would need that would need, that would need to be in there with Usyk. And he would have to go in with the idea of, I'm not going the distance. And if he did that, he may have more, he may have more success. Should he make it out box? But at least he would have an opportunity to go out there and do what he has to do to win. So all in all, great performance by him and hope to see this kind of performance again. Hope to see this kind of performance again. There we go. Um, I second that. Moving now to the Suamlam Night Bazaar in Bangkok, Thailand. Over here, Eddie. You've got a little warning. Wisaksal Wangek, a.k.a. Sarisaket Saw Rungvasai, a.k.a. The Rat Eater. 
There we go, <laughs> baby. There we go. He's back with a bang. Well, not much of a bang. He's 55-6 and six with a draw. He went the distance here, won unanimously over six rounds against the guy who had no wins. Uh, the guy's now Norton 2. Kritifak Dwangna. Um, so, yeah, all the best there to Wangek. Hopefully celebrates with... With, with another rat of his choice. Um, moving now to the final card to mention of the review part. He went down at the Ariaki Arena on Tuesday, Boxing Day, at, at uh, in, in Tokyo, Japan. It was live on ESPN+. Plus. It was live on Sky Sports over here. Naoya Inoue successfully unified. He's now the, he's now the undisputed Super Bantamweight World Champion, IBF, WBA, WBC, WBO. He's now 26-0, still undefeated. And yeah, the, the the KO came for him in round ten against Marlon Tapales, who's now thirty-seven and four. Um, funny that a lot of people are criticising Inoue because it took him longer than they expected. I actually thought he would probably, you know, be able to get him out a bit earlier than expected. But very, very, very good performance against obviously a you know a good champion in Tapales, who was coming off a great win, probably one of the best wins that he'd had in in recent years. So there was a lot of confidence. Credit it to him as well, getting straight in with Inoue and going to Japan for the fight. Um, but Inoue is just—he's just fantastic. Obviously, you know, he's—he's—he's he's, he's, he's in the conversation for for fighter of the year. We'll get to that in part two. But um, yeah, sensational fighter. Um, you could see that the spite on his shots and the the the, the shot selection as well. Like he doesn't need much room to get you know, to generate power on, on shots, whether it's a hook or an uppercut or, you know, whatever, a straight shot. He he just needs an inch of space and he gets some good power on it. Um, you could see sometimes where he, he saw that Tapales looked a bit a bit fresh and sometimes, you know, Tapales would, would, would start an attack. Inoue would take a step back, then jump back into range, got good footwork. Um, so, yeah, he hurt Tapales. I, I think he... I think he, I can't remember when it was now, I'm pretty sure Tapales went down at some point, I want to say from a body shot, I think it was, oh dear, it was, um, Jesus Christ, it was round four, yeah, he got, went down in round four, I believe, from a body shot, then the bell goes, saves him before Inoue can jump on him, um, but yeah, obviously went a few more rounds after that, credit to Tapales for that toughness, landed some good shots himself, um, but no, Inoue, you know, dominated a world champion here, and I don't want to criticise him at all, really. I think he probably won most of the, yeah, he won most of the rounds, obviously. He might have given up one or two along the way, but yeah, he, he was fully in control, and um, yeah, dominated a good champion there once again. You can't really ask for more from Inoue. He does consistently deliver knockout wins. Eddie, you unpaused, or you unmuted a few times. I, I'm guessing you didn't see it, but are you going to surprise me? No, no, I didn't get a chance to actually see it. I tried to watch it. <laughs> For some reason, I couldn't get it. And if you know, I couldn't. <laughs> I wasn't going to be able to get that. Although I, I did, I was able to see the one with him and um, and Scooter. But um, and I was literally doing that, like peeking at it because I was <laughs> I was in the middle of working. But um, I wanted to see this one, and I tried to watch it before today. But once again, working and you know it was the replay, so I just really didn't have a chance. It's all good. It's um, all good. Yeah, but uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I just gonna say this real quick because I heard you say something about you know most people you know was expecting them to get out early, but this is just you know it, boxing is a very very difficult sport, and to and I understand you know is what we expect you know on paper, 
and sometimes these guys, you know, do what we expect and, you know, kind of spoil us with performances and these skills and the skills and the power and all that. But remember, this is a fight and, you know, things aren't promised and, you know, people can die in there. So to, to be, you know, down on his performance per se, because I'm pretty sure there's some people say, oh, he should have got him out of earlier. Oh, this guy wasn't this. He's a champion, had two belts or, or one belt, whatever he had. He's still a champion. He had a great win. He's a good, high-level fighter, one of the best in the world. And to complain or to have something to say about the performance because he didn't stop him in the round you expected or that anyone expected is just like, wow, to me. It's like, is this really what we are? And I and, and it goes beyond this. It goes to, like, in other sports. You know what I mean? Let's talk about, you know, regular guys who talk about other athletes. Like, oh, he's not this. He's not that. And I'm like, yo, this guy is a professional athlete at the highest level. You're talking about him. He's a pro. And people are just still got, you know, got these things to say about him. And I'm like, damn. You know, is there is there ever going to be a time where we really just respect the athlete and what they have to go through to get to the point that they are and just say, okay, well, you know, it happens. You know what I mean? They're, they're great. You know what I mean? There's other great fighters or other great basketball players or football players out there. You can't just, ex- just expect that every single time you want something to happen, that it should happen. If it doesn't, they're, 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 they ain't shit no more. And I, and I think that's, that's, just a, that's something I can't get behind because I really respect all athletes, even the ones who, of course, don't follow, you know, live up to what they're supposed to. But at the end of the day, that just shows how difficult sports is in general to make it in. Yeah, absolutely, Eddie, absolutely. But anyway, that brings part one to a close. It's now time to welcome this week's special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF, WBC and WBO Super Welterweight World Champion and reigning IBF Welterweight World Champion. It is, of course, Miss Natasha Jonas. Natasha, welcome back on the show. Nice one. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure as always. So firstly, it's only right by asking, how was your Christmas, Tasha? It was good, yeah. It was a, it was, it was a scale down from what it normally is, but, you know, I, I, I can't be a Grinch. I'm a mum as well, so... Yeah, we had a good one. Excellent, excellent. So, yeah, Tasha, we last spoke back in June. Um, it was fight week for the Candy Wyatt fight. Another win, another stoppage. Just give us a brief uh, review of that win briefly. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, I think, a fight I was expected to win, if I'm honest. Um, um, kind of, I knew she'd be tough. I knew she'd be quite game, but I also knew she was able to get hit. And I nearly got out in the first round, and, you know, I had to... You know, calm myself and then just yeah, take it, take it in my stride. And I remember last time we spoke, you were kind of saying, you know, one four seven is going to be much better for you than one fifty four, even though you were unified at one fifty four. Um, obviously, we spoke on the week of the fight. You were making weight. You obviously made weight in the end. Was that the case? You felt you felt that was a much better weight for yourself. Yeah, I don't. I, feel like I don't struggle to to make one. I think even at one five four, I was weighing in at one four eight, one four nine. So it's not. It's it's no different of a, of a camp. Um, you know, I think coming from them lower weight helps. Um, but yeah, it was. It was. It's just one of them things. You, your body can make any weight it wants. It's about performing at it, and I think I'm definitely more comfortable at, at the higher weights. 
And last time we spoke, I remember bringing up the fact that your trainer, Joe Gallagher, had stated he felt you should retire after the Wyatt fight was over. Obviously, you haven't done that. Do you have a long-term goal or vision, Natasha, or is it just like fight by fight at this point? Yeah, no, it's definitely um, a bit of fight by fight. Um, I do have, you know, aspirations of, of there's, there's still things I want to do with boxing before I call it a day, but I also know, you know, the person that you have to be in camp and the, you know, the me- more mentally than physically, like physically your body can do anything it wants, but that like, it, it's the mental thing of camp that I, I like, I, I, I believe I've only got a few of them left in me. I don't want to keep on having to be that person. No, that makes sense. But there we go. The the gravy train continues. The next stop is January 20th at the Echo Arena back at home. You'll be defending the IBF title against America's Michaela Mayer. Natasha, firstly, you guys have both done lots of pundit work for Sky in the past. Or I was going to say, do you or maybe did you have a friendly working relationship with Michaela or not? Yeah, I mean, we, we've never had a, an issue. Uh, you know, we potentially could have met up super featherweight. Um, but it, it's one of them things, you know, I've got no problems with anyone in boxing. Yeah, no, fair enough. And as you say there, um, you know, Michaela being being at 130 in the past, um, you know, she did a, her best work there. Um, she says she's felt great since moving up to 140. Obviously, as we know, it's at 147 this fight. Are you expecting a fitter, stronger mayor than perhaps we've ever seen? Uh, maybe not, not so much fitter in the in the sense of output but you know definitely stronger um and and, and like i say i've been there myself when you've got that you know that that actually when you when your camp is not about making weight um there's a lot of stress that that takes out off you um, and you can focus then on the tactical side a bit more than you you normally would um so yeah i probably agree with her and, and, and yeah she's just the, the difference though is that you've got to be able to carry that weight and perform at it. I don't think she'll be able to do what she did at Super Feather at this weight, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I get that. And I was going to ask as well, how do you actually see this fight playing out? Obviously, I think the weight is is more in your favour, but at the same time, her one loss against Baumgartner was highly disputed and maybe shouldn't even exist. Yeah, I, I believe personally that she won that fight. And I think I was I was on the part of the commentary team that night. I thought she was unfortunate not to get the, the nod. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, um, I think she's a good fighter. I think, you know, she's had a good amateur career. She, the basics are very good. Um, she's got a good shot selection, good work rate. But I, I just think that everything that she does, I'm better. And you probably knew at some point I was going to bring this up, but the BBC Sports Personality of the Year, the seating arrangement, for those that don't know, you were sat next to long-term rival Terry Harper. How awkward was that? I I mean, she made out a big thing on social media and she had a lot to say, but she was sitting next to me for two hours and didn't say anything. So that says it all. I mean, I think sometimes it's just a a bit of like, a bit of banter and back and forth, but... Like I'm, I'm not really into all that. I'm not really into like making a show for people on 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 social media unless I I, I believe that I'm right. So I thought, you know, she she asked me a question, I answered it, and then she didn't talk. And you know, I've got nothing to say to her. I'm not going to start conversating with her. I've got nothing to say to her. 
Yeah, I mean, as you say, Terry took to social media, made it blow up. You dropped the generational gap line, which I thought was a mic drop moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, not, I'm not a two-faced person. I'm not, as I say, I'm not going to sit there conversating, which I've got nothing to say. You seem to have a lot to say on social media, but when you're sitting next to me, you didn't have nothing to say. So, like, I, you know, I'm not going to instigate a, a, a conversation with someone I've, I've got like, no intentions of talking to, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it makes sense. I get it. And um, yeah, you're probably right. Um, I know that you already have a fight announced, but there's a tradition on this podcast. Everyone that we interview in the month of December every year, I like to ask what's on their Christmas wish list in a realistic world for the next year. So like I say, you've got the mayor fight to take care of first. But what else do you want the year to bring you? Oh, gosh, a lot. Um, (laughs) I would love to be in the conversation for the Katie fight. But, you know, you have to concentrate on just what's in front of you because you know what boxing's like. You don't get look a while then at the weekend. You get one bad. I'm not a bad decision, Parker. One clearly, but you know one decision doesn't go your way, and all them opportunities and doors that were open quickly closed. So I just focus on what's in front of me, and then you know keep them options open when you get the results, and then go for the best one that for me. Absolutely. And yeah, we've kind of whizzed through pretty much everything, Tasha. Just before we wrap it up, I want to ask if you've got any closing words just to the listeners. You're going to be the last guest of the year. We won't interview anyone else now till next year. If you want to just sign out with a little message before we go, you can say whatever you like before we let you go, Tash. Oh, gosh, no pressure. Um, thank you for the support. Um, that's to you as well. You know, um, thanks for uh, putting us in a positive life always. Um, wishing everyone hopefully have the better had a good christmas have a great new year and i hope everything you know is the year is filled with love no regrets and and you know happiness and uh, yeah i wish everyone the best and thank you for support and that's me signing out there we go well said listen tasha as always the pleasure's mine thank you so much for your time i want to wish you a happy new year and we'll speak after the fight sometime oh cheers thank you Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. We're going to start here with this one. Connor Ben will return to the ring in back-to-back American fights. This one will take place at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. He gets in with the undefeated Peter Dobson. That one to go down February the 3rd, live on DAZONE. Um, yeah, it's going to be early afternoon Las Vegas time so it's basically prime time, you know, in the UK. So it's going to be an early one there. Um, you know, a lot of people never heard of Peter Dobson, had to had to go and have a little look. Um, I was one, you know, I know a hell of a lot of boxers' names, but it, it wasn't one that rang a bell to me. I went and had a look, and um, Dobson's 16-0 and 0 with 9 KOs. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I couldn't tell you too much about the guy. Um... Also on that card as well, we're going to see Austin Ammo Williams get in there with Connor Coyle um, and Johnny Fisher as well on the undercard. No opponent just yet for him, so that's that. Also, in other news, another matchroom boxing piece of news, Lewis Crocker will be uh, fighting on January the 27th. That one to go down... Uh, I believe in Belfast, it's going to be live on DAZN. He gets in with Jose Felix of Mexico. All the best there to Lewis Crocker. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that is uh, that is in Belfast. 
the New Forge Sports Complex. Also on that card as well, the return to the ring for the very talented Paddy Donovan, also Sean McComb. Uh, and a couple of other names there. That is it, though, for the news. Moving now to uh, the very, very short preview part of the show. This one goes down, just one card to mention. It goes down at the Ota City General Gymnasium in Tokyo, Japan. It goes down on Sunday, uh, December 31st, so New Year's Eve. We're going to see in Japan Kazuto Ioka. 30-2 and two with a draw, defending his WBA Super Flyweight World title against Josba Perez, who's 20-3. and three. Um, I think that will be Ioka's first time boxing, I believe, since beating Joshua Franco, um, if I'm not mistaken. And also, on the undercard, we're going to see the very fun to watch, Daigo Higa, 20-2 and two with a draw. He gets in with Navapon Kaikana, who is 58-3 and three with a draw. Very much a padded record there, but I don't expect that fight to go to distance. Both men can crack. And I don't think both men have the best of chins, so that could be interesting over 10 rounds there at bantamweight. Um, that's it, though. So now we move. That's it for the preview part. Now we move to the awards ceremony. Um, like I say, this is going to be quite fun, quite different, and we do this at the end of the year, every year on the podcast. So this will be the eighth end-of-year special, um, as far as I'm aware. I think I'm counting that right, but... Yeah, um, we like to do this bit because it's fun. We usually kind of get through the categories quite, quite, um, quite speedy, but but we 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 take a little look, and you know, obviously, I've got my picks as well. Eddie, I'm guessing you probably you probably didn't get any picks, but I'm sure you're going to chime in at some point. Um, we've asked the listeners and also asked our followers on social media to to send in their suggestions, and I'm going to read some of those out. The categories we've decided to go with in the end was Fighter of the Year, uh, Young Fighter of the Year, under 25 or 25, so that could be 25 and under, Fight of the Year, Knockout of the Year, Upset of the Year, Female Fighter of the Year, and I think that is it. I might have done one or two other little categories that I decided not to kind of ask for anyone's input on. Um, I think we did away with prospect of the year after after um, we we did say sending your prospect of the year and people did, but we we decided to bin that one off. Um, and trainer of the year as well, we didn't bother with. But we are going with fighter of the year, KO of the year, fighter of the year, young fighter of the year, British fighter of the year, upset of the year, and female fighter of the year. So I'm going to start with the listeners here, uh, and we're going to start with the first segment or, or first category will be fighter of the year, plain and simple, Eddie. Um, right, so we've got a few people that sent these in. Um, we're going to start here with Mr. SP on Twitter. He says Crawford. Um, Asgi as well says Crawford. Gary Smith says Crawford. Uh, Asgi also goes with Jaron Ennis. So he's put he's put Crawford and Ennis there. Uh, Boom Shop as well has gone with Jaron Ennis. Um, we've got Terry Mack, who's gone with Inoue. Tuba TJ's gone with Inoue. Boxing Vibe has gone with Inoue. Uh, Zilly Zhang is an interesting shout there from Dan Middlemass. Uh, David Benavidez from Ryan B. Boxing. Donovan Casper sent four in. He says Inoue, Crawford, Haney, and David Benavidez. 
Um, Anthony Kelly says Benavidez or Crawford. Um, just I'm going to try to whiz through some of those little picks there. Um, obviously, Crawford was a popular shout. The only reason I'm not giving it to Crawford is because Crawford only had the one fight all year. It was against Errol Spence, a guy who, for me, it, you know, this is going to be very harsh. And if you've listened before, you, you're not going to be surprised to hear me say it. I think Spence was very, very overrated. So I expected Bud to beat him all day long. And therefore, to beat just him all year long, you're not going to make fighter of the year, in my opinion. Um, Jaron Ennis is an interesting one. I was surprised to see two people go with him. I can't completely remember the year he's had. So I do just want to take a little look. Obviously, he's currently 31-0. He's had two fights this year. Um, that unanimous decision against Karen Chikadzian, which I didn't think he was very impressive in. And then the knockout last time against Roman Villa back in July. Um, so, hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to be giving him fighter of the year. Inoue, of course, is a huge, huge shout. And he's certainly on my shortlist. Um, but yeah, he's not my favorite fighter of the year, unfortunately. So, uh... So yeah, that's that's a close one, but I can understand why people are sending that in. He beat Stephen Fulton, took his O, stopped him, and then obviously very fresh in our memories, we spoke about it on part one. He knocked out Marlon Tapales in the tenth round. So two wins, two knockout wins, and he's become undisputed to wrap the year up. And obviously took Stephen Fulton's O, like I say, um, and. And yeah, he's had a fantastic year. He's had a really, really, really good year. But for me, not not, uh, not my winner. Um, Zilli Zhang for Dan Middlemass. That's a really good one as well. I just love the really strange shouts. I mean, Zilli Zhang, let's be honest, he's, he's certainly not going to be fighter of the year. But I like the shout. Obviously, I was there at the second Joyce fight. His, his two wins this year have both been knockouts against the same man, Joe Joyce. Six rounds and then three rounds. Like I say, I was at the second one. It was it was crazy, but not my fighter of the year. Um, my fighter of the year is, is one that was sent in by Ryan B. Boxing. Also, Donovan Casp was, was uh, a guy that mentioned it amongst the four that he sent in. And Anthony Calley mentioned him or Crawford. And that, for me, my fighter of the year is... David Benavidez and the reason he gets it is because he had two solid wins this year um, he beat uh, Caleb Plant on points where he really dominated him throughout that fight and obviously most recently stopping Demetrius Andrade taking his O um, a lot of people felt Andrade could have won that fight you were one of them Eddie he's had a brilliant year Benavidez my second place definitely goes to Inoue just simply because of the two wins that he had obviously you know, to to, to 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 take the O away from Stephen Fulton. Again, a lot of people felt that he could do things there against Inoue. They were wrong. He got stopped and he lost his O. And then to close the year out by becoming undisputed is just a, a hell of an achievement. Undisputed again in a second weight class um, in, in very, very little time. Um, so, yeah, he gets number two. Number three for me, and this is... This is I'm 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 the guy that creates the criteria here, and that's why he's going in at number three. Um, I think he deserves to be at number three, mainly for one fantastic win just the other day, but also the fact that he's had four 
fights this year, winning all four, and that man is Mr. Joseph Parker. He's had a really, really, really busy year. He's been here, there, and every everywhere. He's boxed in England, he's boxed in uh, um, Australia, and then twice in Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, he's been incredibly busy flying back to New Zealand as well in between, up to Ireland to train with with, with with Andy Lee. He's been here, there and everywhere. A win at the start of the year against Jack Massey, in which I wasn't that impressed with him. I thought he was a bit average that night. But since then, good win back in Australia. I say back in Australia, he's from New Zealand. But a good win in Australia. First round knockout against Feiger Apelu. He looked fantastic against Simon Keane. Knocked him out in three rounds. And then that win just the other day against Deontay Wilder, for me, puts him in the conversation. One of the best... Um, Best, you know, 2023s of any fighter in the world, in my opinion. Four wins, uh, and obviously the last win of all was a real huge upset win against Wilder. He's looking fantastic under Andy Lee. And then in fourth spot, I don't usually do a fourth, but I'm going to give it to Javante Tank Davis simply because I think he's had a decent year. Hasn't really been mentioned, but um, yeah, he's, he's beaten up two Garcias this year. Obviously, the first being Hector Luis Garcia managed to take his O um, and then obviously come back and beat Ryan Garcia, managed to stop him. Well, he's managed to stop both of them. Um, so, yeah, I think he's had a good year. Um, I feel like the the Hector Luis Garcia one, I don't want to take anything away from Garcia, but we've seen him lose to Lamont Roach. I like Lamont Roach, but, um, yeah, I don't think he was that great of a fighter, but that was a good win for Javante. Um, and then, like I say, the Garcia one was was really an exciting fight, and um, I was I was buzzing for that fight, and he looked really good there, Javante. So he's had a good year. Um, it's mad to think that Ryan Garcia fight was eight months ago now. Nothing seems to be lined up just yet for Javante. But anyway, that's my top four fighters of the year. Eddie, did you want to add anything to that before we move on to the next segment, which will be? Young fighter, 2025 20, and under of the year. Yeah, yeah. I actually like your picks, Joe. Um, I know a lot of people would have, you know, would have said Terrence Crawford was definitely, you know, in most people's eyes because of a big win with Earl Spence. And I understand why you said uh, you didn't think so. You know what I mean? I, I understand that sense of him. It's not with me. I don't think it's because I thought that he would always beat him. I thought that Spence would have, you know, a better showing and be better prepared. I just didn't think he was the Spence that I remember seeing in general. So, I mean, I still think that's a huge win just from the name value um, that puts him in the conversation. Uh, but I do think anyway, uh, it's probably going to, you know, we'll get the fighter of the year being that he won in the fashion that most people would, you know, would want to win. And then he also was undisputed by the end of the year, winning another knockout. You know what I mean? David Benavidez, I understand, uh, you know, you get, you know, that being, he being the guy that you would choose because of the caliber of guys he faced. But once again, we have to remember that, um, now anyway, was fighting champions and dominated and stopped both of them. Um, took the O from one of them, one very promising uh, uh, fighter, and 
and did it in a dominating fashion. So for me, if I was to pick a number one, it would be NUA. But David Benavides is definitely in the conversation of that. You know, if I want to say 1A, 1B, I would say that or just give him the number two spot. I like the Joseph Parker one. I didn't honestly, I'm not going to lie, Joe. I didn't even think of that. But definitely was a that's a good. I mean, I guess some of the other fighters he fought. Yeah, you can kind of because you don't really know them and they're not, you know, huge name guys. But the Wilder win is huge. I mean, huge across the board. I mean, I don't know if there's a bigger win, you know what I mean? Considering, you know, his position as a fighter, you know, how he upset the odds and all. It's just, yeah, that's a huge one. Uh, trying to think of the other ones you mentioned. See, Zhang, I like, I like that. I just like Zhang. He's a good dude, you know, a good fighter. So, I mean, I like, I would like to think that, <laughs> you know, he would even be in the conversation, you know, with this. But, um, yeah, he's, he's definitely a, a fun pick to put in there just because he's not the, norm or not one that you would pick just off the off the rip because he's not a you know he's a top heavyweight but not one of the big four you know what i mean so it's kind of like you would <laughs> you would kind of overlook him a little bit but he's on his way there so but um yeah uh those are good picks mine would be i would give it probably to nua first and then um then I would go with uh, David Benavides, then maybe Crawford. Um, yeah, I think that's – I think those are the two – for me, uh, it's right. third – yeah, well, third, I would say Crawford. So, yeah, I mean, that's good. That's good. I, I think that's as far as I'm going to go. I can't I, – I, I'm not – I can't think of any other guys that I can put in. I heard the Tank. Tank is a – Tank is an interesting pick. It's not a bad pick. I rate Hector Luis Garcia before the first loss. I thought he was a really fantastic fighter too, as well as, uh, I, you know, obviously Ryan Garcia, big name guy, uh, you know, big time fighter. So you, you gotta, you know, you give him that, but I don't know if you necessarily be in it, but he's, that's a good pick though. But yeah, that's all. That's all I got though, Joe. Okay. Okay. Um, right. We're going to move straight to, Young Fighter of the Year, which I've always done as 25 years and younger. So there is there is a guy who's 25 years of age. Some people, well, one person said, oh, I can't put him in because he just turned 25, so I'm going to pick this guy instead. No, it's 25 and under. So um, that man, I'm going to just come straight to my pick here. Uh, he, he really could have been Fighter of the Year uh, in the, in the top one or two um, for just plainly fighter of the year anyway. So I do want to just reiterate that this guy for me could have been number one or number two fighter of the year period, but I moved him to young fighter because he is of that age and I wanted to basically make room for someone else to go in the top three or top four I ended up doing for fighter of the year. So straight to my young fighter of the year has to be Devin Haney. Obviously, the win against Lomachenko earlier this year, very controversial. I actually felt that he lost the fight, but 
he did win the fight. I mean, his record has got another win from that. So he beat Loma, and obviously he completely dominated the life out of Regis Progre. And what I thought was going to be a really interesting fight turned out to be completely one-sided. So for me, Haney is my number one young fighter of the year. Uh, number two is... I'm giving it to um, Jesse Bam Rodriguez. Um, obviously, we have to mention it's, it's a crazy fact that he actually moved down a weight and became a champion there earlier this year. Um, I can't remember who he beat for the title off the top of my head, but then he defended it um, and obviously unified it with, with Sonny Edwards and ended up stopping him in what was a really good fight. So that is my one and two. I don't have a third one. But the fans, though, the listeners, they said for Young Fighter of the Year, um, Mr. SP went with Devin Haney. Uh, Ryan B. Boxing went with Xander Zayas. That's an interesting pick. I'd say more of a prospect. But again, we ended up not doing that category. Uh, Bam Rodriguez was sent in by Boxing Vibe and Tuba TJ. Um, like I say, Donovan Casp sent in Haney already for Fighter of the Year. So I'm sure he would have sent him in for Young Fighter there. Um, keep it brief, Eddie, because we don't want to be here too long. But best fighter 25 and under surely has to be Haney. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Close second is the Bam because, you know, he did some... He did some great things too. Uh, beat Sonny Ed, which would crush, which is what crushed me. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's got to be Devin Haney. He's done some good things this year in the face of a lot of people, kind of, you know, including myself, not necessarily thinking he was going to be the hour as, as dominant as he was. And then in the fight with, uh, which I thought he lost to Lomachenko, but got the win regardless. Yeah, you got to give it to him. He's, he's did awesome this year. Okay, so the next category is going to be fight of the year. Um, bad, it's bad on my part, but I haven't gotten around to watching the Rabisi Ramirez fight just yet. So unfortunately, that isn't on my list. But I was very surprised to see that no one even nominated it. I'm stunned. But anyway, what the listeners did send in for fight of the year, we've had five different um, fights nominated. Uh, we've got... Um, Mr. SP has, has actually gone with two. He's gone with Sonny Edwards against Jesse Bam Rodriguez as his fight of the year. It was a great fight. We did say a couple weeks ago, or last week, whenever it was, Eddie, that there was a mixture of a chess match and also a complete all you know an all-out war in the second half of that fight. Um, he's also gone with Lee Wood against Josh Warrington. Another really good fight. I can see why you'd say fight of the year. Uh, Warrington was massively dominating it and went in from being the underdog to being the live favourite and then of course ended up walking onto a shot and getting stopped. That was a crazy turnaround. It was a really good fight. Um, Smelody's OG is sent in Shakur Stevenson against De Los Santos. I'm guessing he must be trolling there. Um, it did make me laugh. Um, we've also been sent in from Ryan B. Boxing. Yeah, sorry, Joe. Sorry, Joe. That is cold. Oh, bloody, why did he do that? That was mean. That was mean. But go ahead. Keep going. I'm sorry. Ryan B. Boxing says Javante Tank Davis against Ryan Garcia. Um, mm, it was an exciting fight going in, but the fight itself didn't really live up to the expectations, I don't think. I don't think Ryan was, was good enough to make it a great fight. Um, and then the way it ended as well, like it was a bit 
you know, it, it wasn't very satisfactory. Um, Haney versus Lomachenko was, 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 was sent in as well. That one from Tuba TJ, he's put here, even if I disagree with the decision, it was a close, high-level fight. And Boxing Vibe as well has gone with Haney Lomachenko. That was a great, great fight, by the way. No one has sent in any of my top three, so this is going to be interesting. Um, okay, so my number one, and it seems now like a long time ago, because it has almost been a year, it, it took place in January. And maybe this is my number one because I was there to actually see it. But it's going to be Artur Baturbiev against Anthony Yard. It was just an unbelievable fight. I remember being there and I remember standing up on my chair. Not sitting on my chair, but standing up for the entire fight. And it was just crazy. You know, like Baturbiev started fast. Then Yard hurt Baturbiev. Baturbiev they were just hurting each other. And it was it was a brutal fight. Both men, you know, landing serious, powerful shots. And um, obviously, unfortunately, Yard was stopped. But it was a great, great fight and a crazy atmosphere. So that gets my number one. No one mentioned that. Number two, an all-out Mexican war between Emmanuel Navarrete and Oscar Valdez. That was a crazy fight with ebbs and flows. Um, I thought Navarrete was unbelievable in that fight. And Valdez was a lot better than I thought he'd be. That was a real cracker of a fight there. Can't believe no one mentioned that. And also in third place, I'm not really too surprised that no one said this. It's obviously a fight that took place, I think, on an undercard. Um, I think it was in Telford, if I'm not mistaken. But it was on an undercard in the UK, Frank Warren show. Andrew Kane against Iron Up Baluta. That was an unbelievable fight. Baluta in another fight of the year candidate. Um... Andrew Kane come out, looked really good. I think dropped Baluta early on. Then Baluta ended up looking like he was going to be getting stopped and then come back to end up stopping Andrew Kane. It was a crazy fight, that one. And again, if if no one, if, if, if you're listening, you haven't seen that fight, you've got to go and check it out. That was a brilliant fight. And honestly, that fight could have even been number one. It's just one of those fights. I'm not sure how many people ended up seeing it, especially... Uh, fight fans across the pond where you are ready um but yeah all great fights there um i'm gonna move on to the next category knockout of the year here eddie um few interesting ones mentioned as well and again i don't know if anyone's mentioned oh yeah no there has been one on my on my list but not the number one the number one i don't think has been mentioned but anyway knockout of the year Mr. SP is nominated too here. He's gone with Lara vs. Wood 1. That was a really, 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 really good knockout, actually. It was a left hook from Lara, and Lee Wood obviously went down. He walked into the shot, went down. I think the, 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 the clapper had gone. There was less than 10 seconds in the round, and the towel came in from Ben Davison. That was a crazy turnaround as well. That, that actually... That could have been in my top three. To be totally honest, I forgot about that one. That could have been in my top three if I was, if I gave it more thought. That that really could have been in my top three. There, that's a great, great, great nomination. Also, Mister SP has sent in Inue versus Fulton. Um, do you know what, Eddie? I can't really remember. And obviously, I watched it. I can't remember the stoppage from Inue now against Fulton. Do you remember it clearly? Yeah, yeah. It was like he dropped him with a shot right and i think he and he got back up but then he got caught I, I think he got back up if i'm not mistaken or or no he got hit i think he got rocked and as he was going back he got hit with uh like a leaping left hook or something like that 
they caught him and then he went down and he was down and out. Like if you could pull it up on the net, yeah. But that's I think that's how it played. I think that's how it uh, played out. I remember watching it and watching the replay, like and feeling bad for Steve for 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 Scooter. Yeah, uh, this one was sent in Eddie here, and I think you're gonna you're gonna agree. This one was a it was it was not only a great knockout, but also a crazy, crazy shock. Mendoza knocking out the towering the towering inferno Fundora. That was a crazy knockout. Chris EZUA sent that one in. Do you remember that, Eddie? That was a crazy one. Yeah, that was crazy. And you know what was crazy about it? The funniest part is for whatever reason, I was so tired, I was falling asleep, and I remember waking up and I was sitting there. All of a sudden, boom! I was like, oh, oh! And I was sitting, I watched him get up. I was, and it, that woke me up. So yeah, that was that. Yeah, that's a hell of that was a good nomination. I forgot about that one. Yeah, that that is a, is another absolutely brilliant nomination. It's not one that I thought of, um, but yeah, that that was crazy. It was a, a, a left hook, and um, again, the, these like I do love a left hook knockout. There's another one where he got caught and he was still on his feet, but he was completely out of it, and then he gets hit with a, like one or two more shots on the way down. Uh, yeah, that was brutal. Um, that's a great nomination. Uh, Tony Triscuit says it's definitely a contender. Nakatani against Andrew Maloney. Yes, that is on my list. That is on my list. That was unbelievable. The way he walked Maloney into that overhand left. Um, that that is, and and it was obviously in the last round as well. There was only a few seconds to go. I remember betting on Andrew Maloney to go to distance, and then he got knocked out with just a few seconds to go, walking into a shot in round twelve. Um, yeah, that was brutal. Um, I like Andrew Maloney a lot, but that was, that was really brutal, that knockout there. And then this one was very popular. Um, Ryan B boxing, Tuba TJ and boxing vibe have all gone with Zhang versus Joyce too. And obviously, like I say, I was at that fight and the Chinaman, the big Chinaman silenced the entire arena with a, with a, a, an unbelievable right hand after dominating Joe in mostly all of the rounds from the first fight to the second fight um yeah that that certainly was a massive massive knockout i don't think i've watched it back on the tv but where i was sat from my seat i didn't have the very best of views but yeah it was it was terrible like i say the 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 reaction it was just it was crazy you could hear a pin drop the moment that that big joe hit the canvas there but anyway my knockouts of the year um I'm going to start with number three and work my way to number two. Number three, this one really could have gone, and I could have put Sebastian Fandora's knockout loss to Mendoza in there. I could have put um, um, Lara against Lee Wood. It really could have took third spot. But my third spot is actually Joshua against Hellenius, and I give Joshua some extra credit because as um, as as he as he was throwing that, that uh, that right hand as he was throwing it, he gets caught with a jab in the face, but still managed to keep you know still managed to keep the amount of power in there to knock Hellenius out, big Hellenius out with a good shot. Um, so yeah, that was a nice right hand, and I think was a good knockout. But now I'm seeing a few of these nominations. I'm not so sure it should still be third, but it's too late to change it. Uh, Joshua gets number three. Number two is definitely the Nakatani versus Maloney knockout, which was horrible to watch, but a fantastic knockout. And number one for me, once again, it's not one that's been sent in or mentioned, but an unbelievable knockout. 
Samuel Antwi against Mason Cartwright. If you haven't seen that, the knockout itself is just on YouTube. You can have a look at that. That was a brutal, brutal knockout. And off the top of my head, I don't think Antwi's really known as a, you know, a big puncher, but he looked like one there. And um, yeah, it was a really good fight up until that point. He was fantastic that night, Samuel Antwi. So for me, he gets my number one knockout of the year. Um, okay, so we've gone, we've gone for a few categories there. We've gone with fighter, young fighter. We've gone with fight of the year, knockout of the year. Uh, two categories left, Eddie. We've got upset of the year or female fighter of the year. What are we going with? What are we going with first? Let, let's go upset of the year. I like that. Okay, upset of the year. Mr. SP sends in Smith versus Eubank. He doesn't um, specify which one, so I'm going to say it's probably Smith-Eubank 1. Um, by the way, that was another contender for, well, maybe not knockout of the year, but that was a really, really unbelievable way that the fight ended, the first fight there. Um, good nomination. Thanks, Mr. SP. You sent in pretty much a, a nomination for every category. Um, and, and also sometimes multiple because he's actually sent another one here as well. Ramla Ali getting knocked out by Julissa Guzman. That Definitely deserves a mention. Ramla Ali obviously come back and avenged that loss uh, very narrowly on points later on in the year, but she was knocked out earlier this year by the Mexican. Um, that's another good one. Ryan B. Boxing says Joyce versus Zhang Wan was a massive upset. I agree. Like I've said so many times, I always felt that Zhang was absolutely to a T, tailor-made for Joe Joyce, and I was stunned when Joyce got stopped. But obviously it was on a you know, it was on a cut eye or his eye closed, whatever it was. Um, it was a big upset, yeah, it definitely was, but I felt that there was unfinished business, and I felt that he'd get him in the second fight, which I was very wrong, obviously. Um, we've also had sent in from Boxing Vibe, Carol Itauma getting stopped by Ezekiel Moderna. Again, I was there at that fight, that's a massive upset, um... Carol Itama got in there with, obviously, Moderna, who was quite experienced and a decent puncher. Um, like I say, it was on the Yard Baturbiev undercard. I was there, and what's crazy is after he got stopped, his brother Moses Itama made his pro debut just a few minutes later. Really crazy, crazy scenes there. Um, again, another time where the place went pin drop silent. Absolutely crazy. Uh, Luke Bernard Hires sent in... Nganu beat him Fury, Eddie, despite what two of the judges said. So he feels that Nganu beat Fury, and that is his nomination for upset of the year. He doesn't care about what two of the judges said. False. Wow. <laughs> I'll fight that. And the thing is, I understand most a lot of people think that. But absolutely not, because I rewatched it without sound. He did not win the fight. He lost by about three points. Uh, and I think, yeah, it was about three points, and that was only because of the knockdown. But it was three, otherwise it would have been four points. Uh, and it was like, you know, I understand. See, the thing is, when we watch fights, and watch fighters in particular, we're expecting to see something, right? And we expected to see Tyson dominating Ghana, which didn't really happen, although he won more rounds and won the fight by enough of a margin. It still didn't look how we expected it to look. So with that being said, 
people are going to now look at, oh, he got robbed. Oh, he, he didn't do this. Or he, he didn't do that. He didn't win in a way he should have won. So we're not going to give him the fight. But that's not how it works. You know, boxing has scoring. I literally mean, not, not just me, me and a few other people. And there was a lot of people scoring the fight as it was happening in front of us. We watched it with no sound. He did not win the fight. But if that's your pick, that would be upset of the year if he would, if he had won. But the fact that he didn't, it's not upset of the year. Okay. But I, I can I, I get where he's going with it though. Okay, okay. Interesting. Interesting nomination anyway. Um Tuba TJ says Parker over Wilder for me. We all knew Parker had the skills and that Wilder had been inactive, but that right hand has always bailed him out. Nobody expected a totally one-sided near shutout from Joseph Parker. That, again, is a fantastically worded nomination from our friend Tuba TJ out there in Hawaii. Um, good to hear from you, Tuba, by the way, or TJ, I should say. Um, yeah, that's that's a fantastic nomination. Obviously, it's fresh in our minds, so, um, you know, it's, it's not my upset of the year. And my upset of the year, I've got two, I believe. My top two are, are ones that haven't been mentioned and are, are really kind of obscure ones. But, um, yeah, I've... I've noted through the year, like I've got some notes on my phone, and through the year, if, if something happens, I go like, right, that's on there. That's that's on the shortlist of, of knockout of the year. That's on the shortlist of, of upset of the year. Sometimes I forget to add ones in, but ones I do remember I put there, and my two upsets of the year that I do have listed down are really big upsets, but no one's mentioned them. But this one here is a good upset. Um, happy for Joe, as I said in part one, he's a, he's a great guy, um, but it's not going to win my personal upset of the year, but another great entry from Tuba TJ, who I think has probably entered every category. Um, right, so my two, I'm going to start with number two and then get to one. Um, again, this this is really digging deep here, but number two. Ricardo Martinez. This is a name that most people will go, who the hell is that? Ricardo Martinez upsetting Nordin Ubali, former world champion. Um, Ubali was coming off a stoppage loss to, uh, to um, Nonito Donaire two years earlier. He hadn't boxed for two years. He was, other than that, he was a good world champion. I think he was like 14 and 0 when he lost to on air so he was like 14 and 1 he comes back to the ring after two years inactivity and fights this journeyman Ricardo Martinez who had a record of 9 and 9 and ends up uh, getting or ends up losing a decision to Ricardo Martinez that was a huge 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 upset there but bigger than that has to be Michael Agundo Again, I'm really I'm I'm really proud of myself for these ones here. This is proper hardcore territory here. But yeah, Michael Agundo, who the hell's that? Well, he's the guy um that that stopped Lamont Peterson. Obviously, like Nordin Ubali, Lamont Peterson was coming off a stoppage loss. He was actually coming off four years in activity, but again, he got stopped. He actually got stopped in four rounds by Ogundo, who was 16 and 16. That, 
for me was just inconceivable. I couldn't believe it when that happened. Lamont Peterson stopped by a guy who was 16 and 16. Um, even if he's had four years out of the ring, he, he was supposed to come back and stop a gundo, and it was going to be like another comeback for Lamont Peterson. Well, I hope he never comes back to the ring after that. But that, you know, I've picked two upsets there, both against former world champions who have been who have been beaten in one case stopped by a complete and utter journeyman that no one has ever heard of so those two guys there Michael Agundo and Ricardo Martinez I tip my hat to both of those guys for upset of the year um that only leaves one final category and it's going to be female fighter of the year last but not least of course now we've had uh, a couple people send in their nominations. Um, we've got a guy here called uh, Casual Cass. Um, Casual Cass says Alicia Baumgardner. Uh, Alicia had two fights this year, by the way. She beat Ellen McCalled back in uh, February. She beat her there. Uh, she picked up the... What title? The, the WBA title that, that time there. She had the other three main belts, IBF, WBC, WBO, from the fight with Michaela Mayer. She picked up the WBA against McCaleb, but it was vacant. She managed to uh, drop drop uh, McCaleb, but win on points in New York. Then, obviously, after that, she managed to avenge the sole defeat on her record to Christina Linadatu. But, obviously, there's a bit of a ped scandal now with Alicia Baumgardner. So... Regardless of that, anyway, she's not my female fighter of the year. Asgi says Sandy Ryan. That's a really interesting pick, and I like his thinking behind it. He says Sandy Ryan because she was robbed of her moment against Jessica McCaskill. That's absolutely 100% right. She definitely beat McCaskill, but they gave it a draw. Um, I don't know what's really happening with Sandy, but the other fight that she had this year was against Mary Pierre Hall, and she was able to beat her in Cardiff for the vacant WBO world title. So she did become world champion in what was just her seventh fight. Um, but yeah, she should have been, you know, like what, a unified champion with, with like three of the four belts against McCaskill. And I really couldn't believe the decision there when they announced the draw. Um, so I like Asgi's picks. Um, we've been sent in Sky Nicholson from Mr. SP. Um, I, I think she's been quite active this year, Sky Nicholson, but I definitely wouldn't consider her for, for female fighter of the year. She's had, um, oh, she's had four fights actually. Um, yeah, again, not really against good enough opposition for me to consider her, but I do like the fact that she's had four fights. Um, Red G-Man NYC has nominated Katie Taylor. Um, I'm not going to give it to Katie just for the simple fact that she lost earlier this year to Chantel Cameron. Yes, yeah, she did come back and beat her in a rematch, and it was brilliant. She definitely won the rematch, you know, definitely, but... Um, she's lost the fight this year, so I can't give her female fighter of the year, just like I can't give Chantel Cameron female fighter of the year, despite her beating Katie, Katie Taylor in the first fight, which which was a bigger upset, I guess, than the rematch. Um, what else do we have? Um, Boxing Vibe has nominated Jessica Neri Plata. I'm going to go straight to my picks now, because 
Neri Platter is on my on my female fighter of the year list. The reason, the basically, I've got five female fighters to mention here, and I'm not gonna do number one, number two, number three, number four. I'm just gonna do in in any order um, the five women that I think have been fighter of the year. Uh, female fighter of the year so i'm going to start just where we left off there obviously the nomination that came in from uh, boxing vibe jessica neary platter so she's on my list jessica neary platter um obviously unified champion she's had two fights this year she's beaten two undefeated fighters kim clavel and sarah borman and in both fights she's had to travel to her opponent's backyard like a true champion and has defended successfully in both of them she's gone to canada to fight kim clavel and gone to germany to fight sarah borman and like i say they say to be a true champion you've got to defend your title around the world and um yeah she she's done that this year so credit to her um, also your cast vow as well has to be mentioned in the conversation this unified champions had three fights this year also barely lost a round in all three fights she's gone the distance in all three of them so she's done 30 rounds and barely lost a round she took one undefeated record and also she beat former world champion annabelle ortiz um, I must mention as well, Gabriella Fandora, she's had three fights, so on my list she's one of the most active. Um, two points wins, and then she stopped former, I think three-time world champion, long-reigning Aureli Musino for the IBF world title. That was an incredible win there for Gabriella Fandora, so for me she's been so impressive really since her pro debut she was she was nailed on to become a world champion and she's done it this year and she's had a fantastic year so she definitely gets a mention um for her to stop Messino I mean that wasn't expected there um Dina Forsland as well she gets a mention she's had two fights this year a defense successful against a former champion Deborah Lopez and then successfully unified against Juliana Villa that was a really good year for Dina and last but not least Sinisa Estrada, she's had two fights this year. Um, isn't that crazy? We interviewed Natasha Jonas earlier on in the show, and while we've been recording this bit, Michaela Mayers just texted me. How weird is that? Anyway, back on track, sorry. Sinisa Estrada, two fights this year, unified against the undefeated WBC champion Tina Ruprecht, and then defended both belts against former champion Leonela Udisa. So, again, a good year there for Sinisa Estrada. They are my five top female fighters of the year in no particular order. Um, and as for British Fighter of the Year, this was, a, this was a category that I didn't really want to put on, on, on social media because basically people kind of misunderstand it sometimes. I don't usually include world champions. I've done it in the past and people say Tyson Fury, Tyson Fury, Josh Taylor. But it's more for like a kind of domestic sort of level kind of British thing there. Um, and some people just get a bit confused. So I've just decided to keep that category for myself. Um, so British Fighter of the Year, even though I've just said what I said, I am going to start with a world champion. So I'm kind of completely doing a U-turn on, on what the rules are for this category. But I'm making an exception here. Number one, British Fighter of the Year is Chris Billum-Smith. Two fights this year. Um, Lawrence Acoli obviously dethroned him, which was a massive, massive upset, even though it has to be said that I've, I've said it on many occasions, really. I think it was more um, 
Chris Willem Smith, uh, sorry, Lawrence Okoli kind of beating himself in that fight, really. Pause, hard pause there. But um, yeah, I think it was more him sort of beating himself than 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 Chris Billum Smith being so great. I don't think he was particularly fantastic in that fight, but he did what he needed to do, stuck to a good game plan. And then obviously he was losing almost every round to um, to Masternick a couple fight uh, a couple weeks ago, whenever it was, and manages to find a shot that breaks Masternick's ribs. Masternick quits on his stall, and Chris Willem Smith gets his first successful defence there. Both fights have took place in Bournemouth. He's brought some great atmospheres as well. So for me, Chris Willem Smith is the British fighter of the year. In second place, it really can't be anyone else but this man. Um, he's gone this year from English title level up to European level. You know who it is. He took away Brad Paul's O at the start of the year. Then he got in there with Macaulay McGowan in an interesting fight. And then, most recently, getting his first career stoppage in 23 fights when he knocked out the reigning EBU European middleweight champion, Matteo Signani, when he stopped in there in round eight. Um, it was stopped on a cut, but I don't give a damn. It's his first stoppage, and he's become European champion there. That man being Tyler Denny. Um, unbelievable career turnaround for this guy. He's having a real Indian summer. Um, number three, British fighter of the year, number three. It goes, for me, to Nick Ball. Um, I think he's bringing a hell of a lot of excitement to the small, you know, the, the little weight divisions, if you like. Um <laughs> not so little, but um, yeah, a knockout in the 12th and final round against Ladumo Lamarty, in which Lamarty ended up obviously being hospitalised, uh, which that, that was horrible to see, but he was brutal in that fight there. And then the way he dominated former world champion Isaac Dogbay, that was just so special. I was so impressed with Nick Ball. He's got dynamite in both hands. He's extremely strong and extremely fit. He really showed that against Dogbay. He can be hit a little bit, but he's exciting. Like I say, brings excitement to the lower weights. And he, for me, has done enough to be number three. Number four... I've given to Liam Davies um, an interesting win against the Italian Lamino, who came for a real fight and actually dropped Liam Davies. That one was a bit of a, a bit of a shock, but obviously Davies managed to get him out of there in the end. And the knockout in the very first round against um, former European champion Jason Cunningham—that was so impressive. That was such a shocking win there for Liam Davies. So. He for me gets number four, and I've done a, a number five. Last but not least. Reese Bellotti, man, I have to say it, what a fantastic year he has had, especially the fact that it wasn't too long ago that I think he was considering retirement, you know, he, he boxed just once in 2020, once in 2021, he was coming off three losses in a row from 2019, the back end, to, to the back end of 2021, come back with a win in 2022, early on, and then he's out the ring for 14 months before he has his first fight in 2023, a fight that I was ringside for, he got in there with Yusuf Kamari, that was on the uh, Sonny Edwards, Andres Campos undercard. Got in there with Yusuf Kamari. I'm pretty sure that Reese Bellotti was an underdog. Managed to beat him fair and square on points. It was a really good performance from him. Then he gets in with Akib Fiaz, and again, he was an underdog and managed to actually stop Akib Fiaz and take his O. Um, 
I tell you what, he's had an unbelievable year. And like I say, from losing three fights in a row, he's now on a bit of a run and he's having an Indian summer as well. So I'm really, really happy for him. I've always been a fan of his, to be honest. I've seen him, I've seen him a few times from ringside. He's always, you know, very game. And I remember him stopping, um, I think it was Jason Cunningham, if I'm not mistaken, um, that was a mad fight a few years ago at York Hall, I want to say. That was a brilliant fight. So like I say, he's still here doing big things in 2023 when it looked like he was down and out a few years ago. Fantastic. So yeah, that is it. Fight of the year done. Knockout of the year done. Fighter of the year done. Young fighter of the year done. British fighter of the year done. Upset of the year done. And female fighter of the year done. Thank you so much for all your nominations. It's, it's always fun getting the listeners involved. We need to do it a little bit more. But um, it's great going through those kinds of categories at the end of the year. We look back at the mad year we've had. And we've been spoiled this year as boxing fans. There's been so many good fights from Spence Crawford to Inoue Fulton. These are off the top of my head. To... Um, to uh, what else? What other great fights have we, have, we, have we had? Ryan Garcia against Javante Tank Davis. There's been so many. I can't even think of any others. But there's been so many great fights domestically and internationally on the world scene, small hall scene. There's been so many fantastic fights been made this year. Um, we've been spoiled actually. So it's been hard to kind of narrow down you know, a, a, a small list of knockouts. And there's just been so many contenders for all the categories. We really have been spoiled this year, but hopefully 2024 is also just as good. Um, just before we wrap it up, Eddie, and I come in with the outro, if you just want to sign out with a little message just to close off the year, this is the last podcast of the year. We'll be back next year, of course. Yeah, man, it was a great year. Uh, there's some great fights we've seen, some... I didn't see, but it's all later. <laughs> Need to stay on the, uh, on on my craft a little bit more. Make sure I pay attention to more more of these fights for you know multitude of reasons. But anyway, uh, it was a great year, man. You know, shout out to the guys who who've been watching and been listening, and uh, obviously been paying attention to boxing this year. Keep the support going uh, for us in the, in the sport of boxing because we need them. There we go. There we go. Well, that's it. The final thing for me to do this year is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 428 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A special thank you to this week's special guest, the reigning IBF welterweight female world champion, Miss Natasha Jonas. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. Thanks once again for tuning in. It's been a long episode, so I'm sorry if it's been a bit too long for some people, but like I say, we had to go through all those awards at the end. It was fun. I hope you you did enjoy it. I want to wish you all a happy new year. Hopefully boxing brings us just as much next year as it has done this year. That's about everything though from myself. Enjoy your weekends people. Stay safe and we shall see you all again same time next week.